So yeah, that's wild, Gene. It's criminal. Oh no. Just <laughs> <laughs> I got caught. I couldn't believe I got caught. All right. All right. We we are catching catching Gene uh, in mid-sentence as we start today's uh, legal tech week. Uh this is the uh, the show where we talk about the week's news in legal tech and innovation, and we're actually talking already about next week's news in legal tech and innovation uh, a little bit in the in our green room chatter. Yes, we have a green room on this show where we all kind of gather before we get started. Anyway, this this is Legal Tech Week. It's November tenth, twenty twenty three. I am Bob Ambrogi, and. Uh, we have uh, we're going to have a little guest. Uh, we'll introduce him in, in just a moment. But before we do that, let's introduce our usual cast of characters here. Uh, Joe Patrice, you want to kick us off? Sure. Uh, Joe Patrice from Above the Law and the Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. Uh, always excited to be here to talk a little legal tech. It's been a busy week in the rest of law. So uh, hopefully there aren't law firms collapsing uh, and no legal tech companies collapse like law firms are in disarray all right and uh steve hi steve embry tech law crossroads like joe i am delighted to be here uh i do apologize for my background yes it is my car no i am not at home thanks to wonderful friday afternoon traffic i had to pull off and uh do this in route but i'm happy to be here better that than uh swerve off the road in the middle of our show which would kind of <laughs> ruin yeah. the whole tone of this uh all right um gene o'grady hi uh i'm gene o'grady i write the dewey b strategic blog which covers research knowledge and all the major and minor vendors in that that space and just to warn you i'm having some work done at my house so you might hear some buzz saws occasionally Sounds good. And uh, Stephanie. Um, hi, I'm Stephanie Wilkins, Editor-in-Chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. And last but not least, Nikki. Hi, all. Uh, Nikki Black. I am the head of SME and external education at um, my case and LaPay. And uh, I write legal tech columns for um, ABA Journal, Above the Law, Daily Record, and I also um, oversee and write some of the uh, benchmark and industry reports on uh, my case and law pay side of things. And I'm uh, excited to be here today. All right. Are we going to have to talk about Nixon Peabody on this show? Is that what's going on? <laughs> Was, weren't they the ones with the famous video or something? Or was that? Everyone's yeah. a winner. Every, everyone's yeah. a winner. winner at yeah. Nixon yeah. Peabody. Go yeah. on YouTube. You can find it. The, the audio of that. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, no, they uh, took it, it all down. Is it? Is it? They down? filed copyright claims against it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yes, as, as as Nancy has observed, we have Colin Levy here, a special guest this week, uh, and uh, I invited Colin on uh, to tell us a little bit about. He's got a new book out uh, called. Uh, the legal tech ecosystem, which you can see uh, handily perched over his uh, right shoulder there, uh, or is that his left shoulder, depending on how his camera is working. Um, and uh, so, Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, again, pretty surreal to be on this side of, uh, of everything, but really great to uh, be here with everyone. Um, and for those who, who don't know me, um, I spend a lot of time on social media. Uh, 
Uh, but I'm a, I'm a lawyer, um, the lawyer for Malbec, which is a contract life cycle management company. I'm also um, a writer and commentator and recent author of the legal tech ecosystem, uh, which, as Bob noted, I do have uh, perched <laughs> over one of my shoulders, depending on which angle you're looking at. Um, and proudly also... perched over your shoulder. <laughs> yes, there you go. Proudly perched. Yes. Well, I am proud of it. It's a three-year three year long project that um, was uh, started right when the pandemic began. And I thought, well, I've always wanted to write a book. So I guess since I'm locked down in my house, I might as well start on this project. And little did I know that I was signing up for three long years of of work in addition to everything else that I was doing, but, yeah. but, it, but it struck me as a good idea. And, you know, I, I'm very glad to have it out. Uh, Cause it's, it's a personal project for me as, as someone who um, really struggled in my early years as a lawyer, finding my way uh, legal tech was the place that really kind of welcomed me with open arms. And I have since been um, eager to continue to give it back to those who are wanting to learn more, which is, Part of the impetus for the book really is to introduce the reader to the legal tech space. And I, I do it kind of in a way in which I tell stories that have been told to me from those who have been in the space. And really, it's intended to be a thematic overview that is intended to sort of whet your appetite for legal tech through looking at it through the lenses of different folks that I've had the honor of speaking with. Uh, and it's really kind of intended to show how it's an ecosystem. It's not just about technology. It's about people. It's about businesses. It's about processes. It's about all these things together that are interconnected and independent, uh, interdependent. And that's really kind of the point that I really try to emphasize is that people focus on the tech and the tech is great, but that's just one part of the story. The story is really about how all these different moving pieces impact and influence one another. And that is what I constantly find myself fascinated by and eager to show others um, the story of. Yeah. So who's, who's it for? Who should, who should read this book? Uh, it's really intended for any legal professional that is interested in learning more about legal tech. You don't have to be a lawyer. You don't even have to be, it's not technical. So it's not really going to be some sort of heavy handed technical handbook. It's really intended to be sort of an anecdotal high level overview for the legal professional wanting to learn more about legal tech and kind of understand what it is and why they should care about it. Uh, and how it could and likely will impact their uh, future should they continue with their future in law. And I, I want to point out Richard DeBona's question. He has the same question I have. It was going to be mine too. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have to rewrite the book starting in, in January when Chad GDC came in? <laughs> I, I all had to rewrite that, the book starting in January. <laughs> yes, there were some last minute-ish additions to incorporate AI and uh, if there is a second edition, it likely will definitely include more as well. Uh, but look, you know, technology is just rapidly advancing. So I fully recognize the fact that when I began the project, it was going to be not what I had envisioned when I began it. It was going to be what it needed to be by the time I finished it. Um, and so, yeah, I think it ended up in a good place. Uh, could I, you know, I probably could. Well, I would think a lot of folks could probably write a whole book on AI itself at this point, but um, but you know, I, I do think that it's it's going to be useful for those trying to kind of just get their feet wet in the space and understand and kind of orientate themselves around what it is because it's a space that 
is growing, but is evolving. And I think can sometimes be intimidating to people because either the technology is intimidating, the amount of changes is intimidating, or the amount of companies and solutions that are in the space can be intimidating. And this is intended to kind of just show that you need not be intimidated by it, but you, but it's something that is interesting to learn about. And more importantly than that, it's something that is important for you to learn about if you want to succeed in this very tech-enabled world we live in. Yeah, I think that that's always one of the challenges of writing any kind of a book about tech is that uh, as, as soon as it's hot off the press, it's it, it's out of date, uh, and then you and then you got to start thinking about the second edition or the third edition or not doing a book at all, doing a blog, which, <laughs> which is <laughs> right. a, good, well, a good way to yeah, keep things absolutely. up to date. <laughs> you know, I uh, think it's just yeah. uh, it's important to just uh, stay up to date, and and yeah, you know, of course, you know, writing a book is great, but there, you know, there definitely is always going to be the likely possibility of elements of it being maybe out of date, but also perhaps not quite as uh, comprehensive because things just didn't exist at the time that it was published that have since evolved and come into existence. Yeah. Well, it sounds like probably that that approach of uh, focusing on some of the stories that you've heard from uh, Legal Tech is a good one because that probably helps it stay fresh. The stories help it help it stay fresh and, and relevant. Uh, even beyond some of the specific tech that might have been mentioned. Yeah, I would have that's definitely the goal. I haven't read it yet myself, but. Well, please, please do. <laughs> I will, I will, I will. I have uh, not read it, Colin, but I have bought it. So <laughs> well, that's thank probably you. Thank right you, now Mike. more, it's probably more important to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, really was a, you know, a, a labor of love. Um, and both a labor and also something that I, I love doing. But yeah, that Bob, to your point, the the storytelling piece was important to me because I wanted to be engaging and wanted to be relevant in a way that wasn't super technical or super heavy on sort of the tech aspect, but more on just the human plus tech relationship. Yeah, good. Um Anybody else, anybody in the audience uh, or here on the panel have any questions or, or comments for Colin about it? You can always reach out to me after this as well. I'm more than happy to talk about it to anyone who will listen. I guess I'm curious, did, does it, did you actually try and cover all different kinds of technologies or does it focus on one specific you know, area like you know, e-discovery or contract drafting? Did it go as far as the research elements? What what are the issues you looked at? Sure. So it's intended to be, I would say, comprehensive in the sense that it's intended to cover sort of the key aspects of legal tech, but without going into detail with regards to specific solutions, because there's just so many and, and, you know, that that people can just read about all those specific solutions. But it's intended to really just show sort of how these elements connect to one another, what makes up legal tech and, you know, management of knowledge certainly is a theme that is brought up as well as, as others. So it's really not sort of a, so much as a sort of a handbook of legal tech as it is sort of a sort of introduction to the world of it and, and really intended to inspire people to learn more about specific areas that they, that the book touches upon. Because I think if you tried to cover everything that was in legal tech, you know, you would have, a book no one would read that would be super long and would likely half of which will be out of date by the time we finally got it out the door. So we need to get it taught at law schools. It needs to be on a reading list at law schools. 
Yes. Well, don't get me started at all on the whole legal education space and what is missing from that. Uh, but certainly, yes, technology needs to be uh, an important element of the law school slash legal education curriculum at the very least. We, Colin and I did go to the same law school. I will say that a few years apart, I think. But... Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> like about 100 years apart. But uh, um, I, I, one thing I will say uh, for those who had question similar to what you just asked Jean about the what's in it is that you can actually go to the Amazon page and click on the read sample and get the whole table of contents to the book and, and get a good sense of what it covers. Um, so, yeah, please, please do please check yeah. it out. And honestly, if you want to talk about it, or you just have questions, or you want to just kind of learn more, you know, I'm more than happy to, to help, you know, I really want to help others. That's what drove me to do the book. That's what really drove me to legal tech and drives me to just remain in the space. So look at that. We just sold one on this show, Colin. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. My day is made. The orders are it's like the home shopping network. I for was legal definitely tech. Too. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Yeah, we have three. <laughs> yeah. You like a little ticker in the corner. <laughs> Buy it now and Colin will throw in what? What are we throwing? Um, I'll throw in um I don't know if I can meet you and sign it somewhere. Um, free <laughs> coffee. That's right. I should have used my Amazon link so I could be making money off of Colin making money. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? Look, I'm all for, you know, let's all help one another, right? Yeah, yeah. Joshua, Joshua already got the Clio link in there. They need the money more than we do. So, um, all right. Well, Colin, thanks so much. Uh, and frankly, you're, you're welcome to hang out if you want as, as a panelist, or I can send you back down to be an audience member, or you can just go off and-, and uh, Hey, I'm, in, I'm happy to, you know what? I'm, I'm happy to join as just uh, as a viewer at this point. I'll let you all kind of discuss the news and uh, provide um, commentary, uh, maybe even a little snarky commentary uh, and uh, go from there. But thanks so much. Really a pleasure. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm just really kind of, um honored to be amongst all of you because i i do seriously learn a lot from all of you so thank you yeah well thanks and all right thanks. i will then uh, bump you down or or promote you whatever however your perspective is on that to to attendee <laughs> thanks for joining us yeah thanks good seeing you all right that takes a while all right now to the uh other stories this week uh and uh so i have to say i thought the most interesting one was the Joe your the story you found out of the Chinese court system of all places? <laughs> so yeah, um, this one like so we do have an above the law story coming about this, but it's not going to be mine, but one of our columnists. But unfortunately, apparently, this columnist goes on Mondays, so it's not going to be out uh, this week. But uh, in over in China, in uh, in Beijing, they have introduced a robot that roams the halls of the courthouse and provides provides uh, help. Uh, not being a robot lawyer per se, but telling people where to go, uh, answering questions for them. Uh, it is apparently programmed to answer 40,000 litigation questions, which I'm not altogether sure there are 40,000 litigation questions. <laughs> I'm I understand that with a billion people, like maybe more things come up, but I don't know as though <laughs> I could come up with that many questions in our uh, in our system. Uh, 
and I think it should be fewer in a system where the answers to almost all of them are the state was right and you're going to prison. So <laughs> whatever. Uh, but it's it speaks in a child's voice to try and calm litigants and make them feel at home is apparently what it says, uh, what they say it does. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was very, really interesting. I thought, you know, good and bad aspects of it as a whole. Uh, I think it's kind of a, a, a weird stunt. Uh, on the other hand, I thought that I was reminded of several years ago, I saw Jim Sandman give a speech about the structural issues that the U.S. has with pro se litigants and how we go out of our way as a system to make it difficult for them. Uh, it's difficult to find where you're supposed to go to file things. We make it hard to figure out what words uh, mean different things because we make sure that they're all some sort of a weird Latin thing. Uh, and part of that uh, speech came back to me when I was reading about this robot, because it seems as though what this childlike trying to explain in everyday terms robot is there to do is help people who are overwhelmed by being part of the system understand what's going on. Uh, it also, you know, again, put aside whether or not uh, how the how rights work over there. Uh, but that was one takeaway that I had of this computer, uh, this robot. Uh, but I had a- Is it, they, somebody this, just pointed out, yeah. this is from 2017. I didn't even notice that. This is, is this an, is that right? It looks like the dateline on the story is from 2017. Well, so there's a, okay. So there's a, uh, there's a few things going on there. This one's from 2017. There's another one um, from 2000, the, the, there's some updates to the story, which is why I'm not like getting into uh, what our columnist wants to talk I about. See, um, see. But I also thought what was interesting about it was there's uh, there was another one in 2016 that uh, that they introduced, which was in, in a different court over there, whose job it was to tell people uh who they're, you know, to listen to people's legal problems and then tell them what lawyers to hire. Uh, so it would look through something like 300,000 lawyers, which again, that's too many lawyers, uh, but would go through 300,000 lawyers and give them the top three people they should hire based on the problem they described, which also three out of 300,000 seems like rough odds. Uh, but also it, I thought it was interesting that they have roaming the courts a basically avo on wheels to answer people's questions uh which is that one also a child <laughs> it, that one was not childlike uh, i mean so i don't know when i'm stressed out like creepy child robot is not the thing that calms me down i, I mean, do not understand i also think the operative thing here is it's roaming through the court listening which sounds much more consistent with the chinese government has some kind of agenda here right. which isn't about helping people <laughs> yeah, it's so it there's a few things going on also that like this is a sign of what the real trend here is, is from 2016 to then the 2017. Uh, China is now pushing for more of these assistive devices doing different things. They're not all the same one over and over again. But, just, you know, like we had the Avo-ish one, I'm calling it. Uh, we have the one that's helping pro se litigants get through the system. Uh, but this is a train that the that the court system there is putting a lot of money in and pushing tech companies over there to build 
new robot assistants to do all sorts of different legal problems. And kind of the the interesting question is, is this a uh, is this maybe a space for AI and robot lawyers that we haven't really thought of? You know, we're all trying to figure out how they can help lawyers do their job rather than look at do they perform client facing roles that maybe lawyers are bad at? Because I can imagine there's several big law partners I know that a robot that speaks in a childlike voice would do a better job explaining the issue. <laughs> than the lawyer would, right? <laughs> so maybe this is the less uh, controversial way we could leverage this technology. Yeah, no, I think this is, I actually think this is an interesting idea. Even it was from 2017. I, I mean, so many courts, a number of courts have been trying to build, you know, the kiosks within the courts that offer some mm -hmm. basic legal help, but generally the kiosks are, are really not all that helpful. I mean, they're how to get it, what kind of form do you need to, to institute a particular action or something like that to help you fill out a form. Um, I was just, it was like, when is it, September or something, I was out at the uh, LA Superior Court, which is like the largest, you know, uh, low trial court system in the country. And if you walk around the, the hallways there, it is, it is chaos of pro se people wandering around trying to figure out what to do and where to go. And there are kiosks there and they're working to really uh, uh, improve that system and, and roll out uh, major changes there. But to me, the idea of a robot wandering around the hall would be <laughs> would be fantastic. I mean, I, I think people would be stopping it every every two feet, uh, saying, "How the heck do I do this? Or where do I go for this?" Hmm. Um, and you know, something that they just could never afford to have the kind of staff for, or something that would help. Um, I, I I can I can totally see it. I think it would be great. I'm just excited to have the heads up so that I can make sure to go out and to welcome this particular robot <laughs> overlord because I'm trying to make sure that I do this on a regular basis. So when the uprising occurs, they take me with them and, you know, <laughs> die with the rest of the humanity. Be, stick with me though. And I'll, I'll keep you, I'll keep you on the good side. <laughs> I also think something like an app that appeared on your phone or something when you walked into the courtroom, would be more, it would, it would provide more, better distributed assistance because can you imagine the lines or or if it were in New York, there'd be one person pushing to the front of the line and knocking everybody. I'm sorry, I am from New York, so I can say that. So <laughs> people knocking each other out of the way, screaming, you took my place in line. You know? I love, I love Gene keeping it real here, being like, we're all keep it all, but we have an app. <laughs> wait, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Apps on phones, you're not even allowed to have a phone anywhere that's near only, the courthouse. That's only oh, court. I, well, I, I, no, state courts you can. I think, I think you're right. Uh, Gene, depends on the state. Do you guys remember yeah. seeing like article, uh, like headlines about how people in New York and other cities were robbing the delivery robots? Did you see those? <laughs> no, the best, the best story on that front was there was a robot that was like a uh, to show how people could get together. It was a hitchhiking robot that was developed to like hitchhike around the world uh -huh. or whatever. And, and it made it like all the way across Canada and it got into the US and it got to Philadelphia, at which point it was bludgeoned and destroyed. Yep. Did not survive Philly. <laughs> whatever happened to that robot that was supposed to be in like the Times Square subway station? That poor thing had no idea what was coming for it. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it, it's it, been it, it sold for parts. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I like the idea. Um, no, I, I, I well, think you know, interesting idea. I just 
Let's see where it we, goes. <laughs> there, there are there have been various tech conferences that we've all been to where, you know, a, a robot roaming the halls to tell us where the media room, for example, was would have been very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Where are the donuts? We could have grabbed a ride on the robot at, at uh, Elton. That would have been helpful <laughs> <laughs> to get to the media room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now we got hitchhiking robots. Uh, Jim, uh, the uh, Jim McMillan just pointed out there is something in New Mexico, a uh, virtual receptionist there that's being used in the courts there. So, uh, I mean, I, basically, the deployment of AI to help people. Self self represented people in the courthouses, it would be a major step forward and roaming, roving AI, maybe, maybe even better. I don't know. But yeah, maybe it would just get mugged and knocked over and then it wouldn't work. Um, I, f I feel like I feel like going from people talking to robots in courthouses leads me to Steve's story this week somehow. <laughs> no, it wasn't my story. It was Kevin O'Keefe's well, story. story that Steve picked up on. <laughs> he, he will be so glad that you you called on me to talk about his story early on. But uh, yeah, it, you know, it, it, to some extent, it was he was stating the obvious, and that is we have traded um, human relationships um, in business and in law for convenience, so that we you know no longer pick up the phone and call somebody, we send them an email, we send them a text, and something, of course, is is lost in that. I mean, I, I can remember when I was practicing full-time, associates would come in and say, you know, I, we need to get an extension of time. I'll send an email. And I'd say, well, no, don't ever ask for something by an email. It's easy to say no. But in reflecting on that, I was thinking, well, today, you know, that rather, you know, if you wanted to try to call somebody to get an extension, that would be three emails to set up the call and then two missed calls and then rescheduling it. And by the time you did all that, you know, your <laughs> the extent the time you wanted it extended to would be would be over. Uh, so you know, it, it's uh, it's a difficult kind of situation, and I, I can't I, I don't remember personally in the last few years ever really picking up the phone and just calling somebody as opposed to saying, you know, Hey, I'd like to talk to you about something can, you know, when's a good time to talk. And I, I can't really can't remember somebody calling me out of the blue very, very often, except, you know, personal sort of non-business stuff. So it, it really did sort of hit home and it, you know, sort of, sort of emphasized to me the lack of maybe the increased lack of civility because we communicate the way we communicate. The other interesting that thing I thought about the what he wrote was he he actually asked ChatGPT what it thought, and it produced a, an answer that that was that was pretty good. I mean, he thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good. You know, it's it's uh, you know, pointed out that our that the primary means of communication in business now is email, whereas it used to be by telephone. And you know, it 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 it's more about convenience and documentation as opposed to relationship. And then, but the inter one thing I thought was kind of funny, it talked, you know, I said, well, you know, it's it sort of, uh, sort of shows the value that we put on uninter uninterrupted work time. And I'm thinking, well, 
I'm not sure that I have more more uninterrupted work time now that I, that I had when people phone called me. Yeah. Don't call me on the telephone, you know. I mean, I might even be worse now. Uh, so I thought that yeah. you know that was kind of. But I thought both you know all those points were kind of interesting, and I was I was glad Kevin wrote it because it really, again, maybe stating the obvious, but it is sort of a a different world and a harder world to communicate personally and directly, particularly when problems blow up. You know, if you, if you try to solve, if there's a misunderstanding by email and you try to solve it with another email, it just leads to more misunderstanding. And then you're spending more time trying to straighten it out than you ever spent than, you know, three minutes on a phone call, but is the world we live in. So I, I thought it was, for several reasons, I thought it was pretty interesting that he made. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it. And you, it's uh, go ahead. No, yeah. I was just going to say we could, we and we can all text each other and talk about the whole thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can text us. You can text us from your robot car that you're sitting in. <laughs> I just think email has made the 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 workday one long interruption. I mean, it's it's sort of like you you can manage your response time, but it does feel like. It is just relentless, relentless, relentless interruption. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and there's so little reflection time. You know, you yeah. used to get a letter from the opposing counsel and you'd say, ah, you know, I'm going to write him and tell him all this terrible stuff that how I think about him or her. And, you know, by the time you actually sat down and wrote the letter, you'd cool down and you said, well, maybe that's not the smartest thing to do right now. You know, I'll send a different kind of letter. But with email, you just, oh, fire it off right now. And boom, you know, now instead of a, you know, now you've got a, uh, you've got a world war on your hands where you, other, you know, 10 years ago, it would have kind of faded out of the picture. Well, but that's why I like having the the pre the pregame of texting to decide when you're going to talk because if somebody called me out of the blue and I was completely unprepared, I'm less likely to, you know, have a rational or informed conversation about it. Whereas you can yeah. actually prep in advance if you know when you're going to be on the phone about something. But but the flip side of that was nobody this is like going back in time for me, but nobody expected an answer right away. They yeah. they would right. they would call you to talk about it and then you'd Call back a couple of days later. I mean, as a lawyer, you'd That's get a true. client who'd come into your office and they would come in and tell you what their problem was. And you'd say, okay, I'm going to go research this and think about it. And I'll call you in a couple of days. And, yeah. and, and that was, an, that was an accept, an yeah, that was an acceptable answer. Now they, you know, they expect an immediate answer. And yeah. remember, remember people used to actually send things through the mail. So you yeah. Sending it out the same day through the mail was considered really efficient. And I, you know, I actually remember the day I was working at a law firm, the first day they got a fax machine. And I thought to myself, wow, this is going to really speed up people's expectations. Like, little did I little, know. Little did you know. Yeah. yeah. We're just moving backward in time on this episode. We've gone to 2017 and now we're like going back to like 1985 or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> when was the fax machine? That was like nineteen in the eighties, maybe. I don't it was. Know. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was my first law firm job, so it was in the early eighties. No, fax yeah. machines are so 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 much older than you think they are. They are wildly old. But they like, weren't they got... in law firms because it was considered exotic at the time. Maybe are you thinking so, of Telex's T E L E X? No, so 
so there, there's this is a, a famous thing that, that always gets tossed around on those kind of like uh, believe Ripley's believe it or not sorts of situations like Shoguns could have sent a fax to Abraham Lincoln like that technology was a thing that was was around in like the mid 1800s and the level to which it like took off as a business thing came later but it uh it's wild how old they really are hmm. interesting well yeah they were used during the civil war or what do you call it that other thing was used the, the, <laughs> yeah. thing used. the pony express was yeah. Used. yeah telegraphs, no, no, telegraphs. No, also yeah. uh, morse, carrier pigeons whatever, yeah. morse code was used during the civil war yeah telegraph machines yeah, yeah. telegraph yeah yeah 1843 so we've managed to move backwards again bob <laughs> <laughs> hmm. i was just the trying to find it no i know when somebody asks me to fax ever now i'm like i just don't take you seriously but hey like people like it's always like medical facilities or things that you actually need to do and then you end up going to like a fedex to try to send a fax to get a bill paid i'm right. like I feel like they're just being purposely outdated so they don't want to like pay you money. <laughs> Somebody said to me it has to do with HIPAA. That that's the reason they will not send things in email, which is just who invented that thing? I mean, that needs to be cleaned up and modernized. <laughs> well, HIPAA doesn't even apply unless you're a medical provider of some kind. Yeah, but I'm trying to get information from a medical provider, and it's like you oh. always have to log into a to a portal where you've forgotten the password and you can't get the damn document because they won't send it to you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, all right. I, th I think uh, it was one of these shows that I remember mentioning that. Whoops. Uh oh. Your your is your car's breaking. You wouldn't up notice it for two or three days, and then you'd say, "Oh my god!" <laughs> all right. I found it's an amazing story that somewhere. none of us heard. <laughs> yeah. I had it on. I have. A, I did a blog post in 2010 called "A Chronology of Legal Technology" that I just put in the chat. But I have 1842, the fax machine invented by a Scottish physicist. Images were sent by wire, and the receiving machine recorded the images on damp electrolytic paper. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, is it possible to bring this show into at least the? the uh, the last couple of years. Did, I, how about the future future ready lawyers, Gene? What about uh, maybe maybe that'll bring okay. us into the present day? <laughs> okay, I didn't I didn't know that we were going to talk about that. Okay. Oh, I thought you had you have it on your. No, thing. I did, but you didn't have it on the list. Okay, so this week. Oh, I didn't. Walters Kluwer released their twenty twenty three future ready lawyers report, which I thought, frankly, was a bit of a snooze. Uh, um. The, you know, it's reiterating all the problems that we've had. The only thing that's I thought was truly novel is here's AI and what do, what do lawyers actually think is. I thought the responding lawyers were overly optimistic about how quickly uh, generative AI was going to transform their jobs, because as at least in large firms, it's taking a long time to get policies in place, to get all the technology vetted. There's a, there's, there just seems to be so many outstanding ethical issues. I, I, 
I think people are anxious to use it. I think people are going to be testing it like crazy over the coming year. But whether how quickly it's going to transform work, I'm not sure. And the other the other observation I had was, you know, all of the uh, clients want efficiencies. And I do have to wonder if half the things are on the list that have been on the list for 10 years aren't going to be solved by generative AI once generative AI gets there. But I think Joe had a great article too, which was, I think has, you had a great headline to yours. So Joe, you talk. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I did also cover this uh, story. I, what did I end up making my headline on that one? Um, Cause I, I went through, oh yeah, no, it was the, uh, we're going to use AI, but nobody knows what for. Uh, there were so honestly, like this is sounds like I'm just being uh, unduly complimentary here, but like there were so many threads in that report. And I was like dancing with which one I was going to write up. And I went, wrote up that, you know, we've we've had surveys suggest that a lot of people don't uh, use uh, AI right now in their law firms. But this survey suggested that a large number of them expect to be using it very soon. But there's not a clear consensus on for what. Uh, everyone just kind of knows it's coming. Uh, and there's some back and forth about what the use case is going to be, which, you know, in fairness, I, and this goes to, I'll, I'll pass it along. This goes to a thing Nikki said a few times, which is this is evolving way faster than most tech evolves uh, as we've found it in this space. So it, it might well be that it's just, well, we're not going to know what the use case is for um, AI and law until middle of next year. Well, I think that uh, I'm in the process of analyzing all our data and writing the um, our legal industry report. And I allowed write-ins this year um, specifically on that. Like, how are you actually, if you're, you said you're using it, tell me what you're doing, whether they're using it um, personally, you know, their firm hasn't approved it, but they're just using it for work-related purposes or else the firm's actually using. All right. So I have, Oh, like write-ins and people, we had 2,600 respondents um, and so many write-ins. And so part of what I'm doing is I'm going to include some of that in the report, but I'm, I was sort of trying to hone in on that very thing, trying to understand how they're actually going to use it. Um, and uh, the other thing I just wanted to mention was, you know, in reference to the idea of this tech moving fast, I'm not sure if any of you have had a chance to play with GPTs. You know how they announced at the um, OpenAI developers conference that they're going to roll out GPTs meaning you can create your own specific GPT for your own use case. I it rolled out into my GPT plus account yesterday and I've already created two of them. And it's unbelievable what you can do with that technology with no, I mean, I'm actually trying to learn Python, but I don't know Python well enough to do anything with it, but um, you don't have to understand Python or anything at all. It's just natural language programming. And you know, the, 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 um, Things that are going to be able to be done with that, both uh, uh, for personal and business use cases, are out of this world, and it's already here. Like I don't know if y'all have played with that yet, but those the roll out your own GPT is kind of a cool thing. I haven't done uh, that yet, but I suspect your survey will find that eighty percent of lawyers are using Dolly to make funny images. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anyone saying images. So now that I okay. have to look through it again, but there were some really interesting ways that lawyers were using it, and some of it was pretty granular. Um, not just yeah. GPT, like just generative AI technologies in general. So it was sort of yeah. ran the gamut, but um, there's yeah. cool stuff in there. But we'll see. I did, I did want to say on the future ready, I also wrote about the future ready lawyer report, although I wrote about it a, a day late and a dollar short kind of thing. But um, 
what what I thought was interesting about it again wasn't I, I agree with Gene that it was a, kind of a little bit dull overall. But what's interesting is they did the first one of this in 2019, and they kind of the report was you know what does it take to be a future ready law firm? And in 2019, you know to to talk about the need for for tech and 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 to be uh, innovative around the use of tech was still something to be talking about i think in 2019 and and at this point i think we we've all got that memo at this point and the the report doesn't add much to it but i did think it was interesting to see that the the percentage of firms that they rank as like future ready uh meaning that they've sort of you know uh, robustly a, 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 adopted technology within the firm has actually gone down since 2019 to this year and and kind of reading between the lines of the report i don't think that that's because fewer law firms are using tech or adopting tech because obviously that's not at all what's happening but uh my take on it was the bar keeps getting raised and it keeps getting harder and harder for firms to keep up with the tech it the tech is accelerating at such a pace that a firm that was perhaps ahead of the curve in 2019 could well be behind the curve in in 2023, uh, and uh, so I, I think it I think it points to the fact that it's a constant struggle for law firms to remain innovative and, and kind of keep up with whatever the latest is in technology. And uh, I, the survey didn't kind of exactly say that, but I, I think if you read between the lines, that's something you can you can extract from it. And you know what, I also think it's that lawyers there's such a disconnect there is like a an incredibly high level of awareness of gbt and then there is just this almost paralysis about how do we overcome all the internal you know all you know in inside of law firms security is the number one bar to adopting any technology so there are huge security issues. And I'm not saying they can't be overcome, but there are very significant security issues. There are intellectual property issues. There are ethical issues. There are so many more issues associated with the adoption of chat DBT that you just have this sort of slowness. It's like stuck in molasses. It's going to take much longer. I I can't remember the last time I saw people so excited about a technology that was so difficult that had so many internal obstacles to launch. But it's only been around for a year. <laughs> I feel like we keep forgetting <laughs> this. Like, well, like it's taken forever to roll this stuff out. Like we all say this and feel this, but it's, you know, the fact that there's such a, I've never experienced such a high level of interest. I was just in New York speaking at the New York City Bar's solo and uh, or small firm symposium. And it, there's just this thirst for knowledge about it. and. There is a bit of this paralysis, like you're talking, like some people came up to me afterwards and they're like, I really loved how you provided all these ideas, you know, ways of actually using it because sometimes they get stuck with the concept of all the possibilities. And so they can't get any momentum and move forward. So, uh, but I, I do think we all have to keep reminding ourselves though, that like, it's been a year. <laughs> it feels this, the, between the pandemic and just the rapid uh, pace of tech advancement, I, I feel like we're kind of losing sense of time in some ways. Our sense of how time passes is warped because of this, all these weird things that have happened in the last few years. But um, I mean, I, I, the fact that these Lexus and Thompson Reuters have already, are already rolling out for general use, you know, these tools is pretty crazy, I think. So I, I, I beg to disagree a teeny bit on that. <laughs> that first I do think, it has come along. I mean, even within that short period of time, because like, so I'm I'm at LMA Southeast right now, and uh, 
there's sort of like a round robin kind of thing spoke on AI this morning and there's very, very few people in the room had not at least played around with it, whether or not their company lets them do it internally, at least played around with it on their own and done it. Whereas like even a couple months ago, you would go to conference and be like, hey, have you all accessed even just like tried ChatGPT and it'd be sort of like 50-50 in. So it really is, I agree. Like it's tempting to say, why are we not there yet? But it is so much faster. Yeah, it hasn't even been a year since ChatGPT came out, which is crazy. Um, one, one other, I guess one other word, thought on, on that survey on the future ready thing is, uh, does anybody think we're just, there's just too many surveys, <laughs> too many reports ah. coming out? <laughs> yeah. that world? No, no, that's <laughs> a good segue. <laughs> that is, a, you're right. We could talk about your survey. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, the problem is it's like suddenly every vendor is doing a survey all the time. And it's I, I don't again, it's gotten to be one of those things where it's not a week, if not a day that goes by without some vendor announcing some survey they've just done of what, how corporate counsel feel about something or how large law firms feel about something. And and they're all like surveying the same people about the same things. And it's I, I don't well, you, I, <laughs> it's not it's not just the legal tech vendors. I mean, you go stay at a hotel, you'll get three emails asking you to fill out a survey you buy a hamburger yeah. for lunch you, i mean I, I get i get these emails all the time to the point that i don't i rarely answer them I, it's right. like it's just a, this is a pain in the butt <laughs> yeah 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 um yeah i i just mean more from the and i, I get that too i mean more from the perspective of uh, like us as reporters or something covering them all i feel like they, they get they all just get redundant and, and cumulative and and it's hard to it's hard to even find a headline out of some of them uh, or anything really that interesting coming out of a lot of them but um but that's not true of nikki's survey <laughs> well this one wasn't a survey it was um my case does a legal industry survey which is what's um i'm working on now but uh my case in lafayette but we also do quarterly uh for three quarters of the year benchmark reports where we pull data out of our platforms it's anonymized um, to provide useful information to help lawyers um, run their practices more efficiently. And the one that uh, I'll just pop it into the chat. I just wrote about it from our daily record article. Um, the third benchmark report for this year that was published um, uh, last month was the um, benchmark report focused on getting leads. Uh, and so data about how lawyers get leads, some of the um, uh, KPIs for that type of thing. Um, and the stuff... The, the information that came out of this one that I think is gonna be the most useful for lawyers, and it might be of interest to some of the legal marketers in the chat, I saw Nancy was there, um, was what we did was we pulled, you know, my case has lead management built into it. So um, we have a, a lot of data about how lawyers get leads. And so, and one of the challenges that lawyers have when they're trying to figure out where to advertise and market online is, um, different practice areas, your your customer base is going to be in a very, you know, your client base is in a very different place if you represent business, uh, people in business versus criminal defense, you know, uh, people accused of crimes. You have criminal defense attorneys and real estate attorneys, for example, their clientele are coming from two very different places and they're hanging out in very different places online. And so um, what we did was we pulled, and what, uh, what my case, one of the things that you can do with your lead um, 
your lead management stuff is tag it in terms of where did this lead come from? And you can track your leads that way. And so um, what we did was pulled, I'm trying to get it in front of me so I can read a few of them, but we um, pulled uh, some of the by practice area. Um, so depending on, uh, by uh, we pulled it by platform rather, and then we separated it out by practice area. So you get a sense of so leads from um, uh, Facebook. So we looked at Facebook and looked at all the different leads that have been marked that came in from Facebook and looked at which practice areas um, had the most success with Facebook. And this is a really telling one. Immigration attorneys, there were more than 10,000 leads um, in the time frame, which I believe uh, was uh, 2023 that we looked at for this third one. So for the first seven months of 2023, 10,000 leads, family law, 700 leads, matrimonial, 300 leads, trust and estates, 200 and change. But so that gives you a sense of like, if you're an immigration attorney, you better be on Facebook, right? And I, you know, I think that's really valuable to know. And then um, uh, like Yelp, you know, there weren't tons of leads out of Yelp, but family law attorneys had almost three times as much as anybody else from Yelp. And then real estate came in second. And uh, then another one, let me see another one that was kind of notable. Um, leads. TikTok? Did you look at TikTok? Um, I don't know. I didn't do, I, I left, I didn't, I only used the ones that actually had significant amounts of leads. So I didn't include X because X had like less than 15 leads per practice area. Um, huh. So I think TikTok probably fell under that. Um, trying to see what other ones were valuable. LinkedIn, not a lot of leads coming out of LinkedIn at all. Immigration at 15, bankruptcy six. Uh, online search, family law, 1700 and change, criminal law, 1200 and change, matrimonial, 800. And one of the challenges with trying to do this also, like from a benchmark report type of thing, is that um, some of the categories were not exactly entirely clear because sometimes the firms would make uh, them up or they would categorize one thing in their mind when they meant another. So sometimes it was a little bit hard to tell, but it was still really interesting to especially if you're a lawyer with a specific practice area and one area of focus, try to, struggling to figure out where to spend your online spend. That's a, you know, it's a good data point to help you um, make that decision. And so that's what I really like about these benchmark reports. And then we also had information about like intake forms built into your website and um, how well those convert, you know? Um, and, you know, there's just a bunch of interesting data points in that report that are really useful and can, in all three of them, like I really try every, um, every year, this is our second year doing these reports and um, in each report, trying to just pull out some data and make sense of it in a way that'll actually help lawyers uh, make more informed decisions in terms of running their practices and increasing efficiency and profitability. So that's what that's getting. Who's getting the most leads from Craigslist? From, from <laughs> criminal or no? Oh. Craigslist was not included. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. Angie's list. Uh, <laughs> it's just Angie now. Is it? Oh, okay. It's just Angie now. Yep. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I feel bad that she lost the rest of the list, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See Jason's question, Nikki. Uh, does, does the report provide any results yeah. beyond lead gen, such as conversions and other? Yeah. So, um, let me get it back up in front of me. Um, this report had a. So we did. Um. One second. Let me just look. We had lead benchmarking, and so um, we had lead conversion rates. So uh, the number of leads converted to clients overall, um, and then 
so that that way lawyers had a benchmark that 24% was the um, lead conversion rate overall, not by um, uh, just generally speaking, like uh, you got this many leads, um, over 900,000 leads, 220,000 um, converted for the our, our customers. So that was a 24% um, uh, conversion rate. And then in terms of website lead intake forms, um, the conversion rate was a little bit lower. It was 18%. So leads that came in through a web um, website. Uh, but the point, the thing that's really notable about that is it's 18% um, more leads than you would have otherwise had, meaning if you didn't have that website lead intake form, you would have missed all those leads. Um, so, you know, there was some, uh, and then I also, consultation appointment fees, we covered that. I think that's a really interesting one just because some people don't charge for their consultations. And I think all lawyers should charge for consultations in most cases. And um, we we looked at um, the how lawyers collected their fees and, um, over almost 17 million were collected from credit cards or online payment processing and only 2 million from cash and checks. So that's just kind of notable. Um, it just shows that that's the easiest way for lawyers to both collect the money um, and get paid quickly. You know, and that also that that's just kind of the sign of the times is online payment processing these days. But those are the main categories that were covered in this particular report. Great. Uh, all right, just we're, we're getting, getting low on time. so. Stephanie, uh, you want to do New Era ADR or I Level AI? Oh yeah, I, I like I, I wrote. I'm really tired and wrote so much stuff this week. I'm like, what did I even put on there? Um, let's do I Level AI since you talked to them too. We can tag team that. Okay. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that it came up, you know, the other week with the Pras Michelle. Um, conspiracy federal trial that you know he was found guilty and his lawyers moved for a new uh new trial which like the like two pages out of like this 50s on page complaint was like oh they used this experimental ai tool to do um closing arguments and that was i level ai and i guess they reached out to multiple of us and so i know i talked to the ceo and co-founder and so did bob where they were explaining and defending their technology and I don't know about you, but I actually thought, I mean, it it seems like legitimate technology. He definitely really knew what he was talking about. I mean, it's not, I don't think, I think it's just a lot of, you know, AI is hype right now and to call it experimental. I mean, to some degree, all generative AI tools are experimental right now, but I don't think this one was particularly more experimental or egregious than others. And I mean, I, I can't speak to whether or not, or to the substance of the closing arguments, but it could be another, you know, lawyers still have to use this and exercise their judgment. But I thought he was interesting to talk to. And I thought the um, the tool seemed kind of cool. I don't know what you thought, Bob. Yeah, no, the same thing. And I, I thought, I mean, his point really was, I think, what 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 we all thought probably was obvious about the case, which is that, that the lawyer, the lawyer didn't just blindly take some argument that the AI generated and stand up in court and read it. Uh, you know, the, the, the AI did, you know, kind of go through the, I mean, what basically what they're doing in this case is the AI, every day they're uploading all the transcripts of the trial into this AI platform and the AI is helping them to summarize and synthesize what's happened that day. And, and then at the end of the trial, he did, he is able to go back and sort of, you know, prompt it to try and suggest some arguments to be made. 
but by no means, you know, is the lawyer obligated to take them unless the lawyer thinks they're worthwhile in some way. Uh, and, uh, and in this case, uh, you know, his argument is the, the lawyer made the arguments the lawyer wanted to make. Uh, and he certainly was using the AI program during the trial, but it wasn't, uh, he wasn't blindly relying on, on anything it was, it was proposing. And, you know, the other allegation in, in that case had been that, that the, the lawyer, the two lawyers uh, had perhaps had some financial interest in uh, this I-level AI company um which he staunchly denied that that was the case at all and there is no financial interest there yeah so, i think um, yeah. if anything like you did closer like now I, I read a little bit more closely that like they're claiming they had a financial interest in a different tool that is like an investor in this tool or something right. like it's more much more attenuated um well the press release had referred to that other company as our our yeah. business our technology partner i think is yeah, the yeah. Okay. used. And then um, he, yeah. this guy, this guy, this the one thing the guy did say, and I think he, I don't know if he said it to you as well. Um, Neil Katz was the COO of iLevel said, you know, maybe our press release was, was not well thought out. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe we were a little uh, hasty in getting that press release out. Cause that, yeah, the press release did, you know, make a deal, big deal out of the fact that this technology had been used in this trial, a trial that where this that side lost <laughs> yeah and it was it was the and, first uh, use in a federal trial i get why they were excited yeah, yeah um yeah. one thing he pointed out to me that i thought was really interesting he's like this tool can do a lot more and i think some of the more interesting stuff is not even you know the way it was you the way they're talking about it here prepping you know the closing arguments they also ran it in that case to predict what opponent's closing argument would be and right. he said it was 70 to 80% accurate of what that attorney actually said in their closings. Like, again, you can't control what humans say, but it was, I mean, that's actually really interesting to me. Right. Yeah. I thought it was too. Yeah. 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 The I level AI is actually, it's not even a legal, well, it is a legal, they have a legal specific sort of side product, but the main product is, is crosses, you know, a number of verticals. And it's, it's really just a product for taking large amounts of text text and, and, you know, uh, intaking them and then basically using kind of re retrieval augmented generation against large collections of text for whatever, whatever purpose, whether legal or something else, but it's yeah. an interesting product. Whatever your, your, you know, universe of information is that you want. And here, I mean, in this, in the Proz case, it wasn't even like the e-discovery documents or anything. It was strictly, they ran it strictly on the trial transcripts. Right. So, right. I mean, it, it really is interesting. I think it has strong use cases, but again, you know, lawyers at the end of the day are the ones making these arguments and presenting things and that's on them. And, and I don't know. And he didn't even, he's like, I, I don't know if like, he didn't even get into the, like, was the closing argument? Did they make false statements or anything? Cause like, you know, that's beyond his, Involvement. Right. He's not a lawyer. He's not a lawyer. Yeah. In fact, he's a, a what a producer, a television producer, or something like uh, that. Yeah, he was a long time like journalist. Background. Yeah, TV if, journalist. If you look at the the, did I record the video? I guess I didn't post the video of our interview, but uh, I think I posted a picture. But you can see his uh, was it Emmy Awards or something up on the oh, shelf yeah. behind him as you're talking to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, so so next week uh, we all are we we're all going to. New York next week to hear from Thomson Reuters. They've got some big news coming. So that'll be, we'll have that to talk about next, next Friday and, and maybe some news from LexisNexis too. Who knows? 
uh, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll find that out uh, as well and whatever else comes along next week. Uh, so uh, until then, thanks a lot to uh, Colin for coming on and everybody run out and buy his book because he's going to give us all a cut, I'm sure. And uh, until then, we'll see you, see you next Friday. Yeah. Thanks, so long, everybody. Great weekend. Bye, everyone.